And as you go there and you turn, Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1. David, if you would, just kind of play that little intro video. I have it on there if you would. We're so used to having church in the morning that we sometimes forget that it was in darkness when Jesus arrived. So this morning I want to talk to you about having joy in the midst of darkness. Having joy in the, in the midst of turmoil and not missing out on the opportunity. I'm, I've never been accused of doing anything in a typical way. So this Christmas message is going to be about King Herod and what he missed out on. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew one twenty one and, and Luke 2, 10 and 11. And then uh, I'm going to ask my father-in-law, Jack, if he would pray for us this morning as we uh, spend time in God's Word and pray for teachability, but also pray for those who, uh, who watch over us. Let's read God's Word. Here's what... Matthew 121 says, and keep in mind these words are to Joseph. In fact, I'll back up to 20 to set the stage. But he considered these, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
next thing is the message to the shepherds. Keep in mind, he will save his people from their sins. That is the point. I mean, that is what he's doing. And it says this in verse, uh, what's the verse I said? Verse 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, appearing to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jack, if you would, pray for us this morning. Thank you, Jack. You ever, you ever been around somebody who just doesn't get it? They just don't get it. Or they may be present in the room, but they're not present in the room. Now, Amber, Joe, Ron, Shauna, don't ask me who I'm talking about because you probably will know who I'm talking about. So years ago in the youth group, like we might be working on a summer project, getting ready to go to the lake or ready to do a mission trip, fundraiser or something. And we're all up here working hard. We've probably been working. This is a typical situation. We might have been working about 9 o'clock, getting close to noon or 1 o'clock, and we're getting tired and we're getting hungry. And there could be about eight or nine of us in the room, and eight of us are talking about, where, we, where do you want to go eat? Where let's go eat. Let's, you know, let's, you want to go to McDonald's. You want to go to Arby's. You want to just eat Chicken Express and bring it back here. What do you guys want to do to go eat somewhere? And there'll always be that one on the side. It's about when we decide what we're going to do, that will say, what? Eight people talking about the same thing in the room, and one person, this is before even the proliferation of multimedia cell phones. Okay, just off in another world. What? Sometimes there's somebody in the room who just doesn't doesn't get it, or they're not really, really, really paying attention to what's going on. They may be, for whatever reason, maybe in their own little world, or they may just be, they could be preoccupied with something, whatever it may be. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about Herod. Now, Scripture tells us Herod's actions are foretold. I don't think he was destined to do them. I just think God and his sovereignty and his omniscience and his ultimate power knew that it was going to happen, and he wrote it down in Scripture as one of those proofs to what was happening at that moment when the Christ child was born. Herod's an interesting person in the Bible. He really, really is. And as... And as uh, as Brad and I have joked about, there are more bad examples sometimes in the Bible than there are good examples, because the, the good example is the one we find in Jesus Christ, and so much of the time is, is the correction of the human beings coming in contact with God. Herod's a bad example. Herod's a bad example of how not to celebrate Christmas or recognize what God is doing around you. And, and, Right here we have just on the screen, and, and I just love this image. Those, those are just a representation of the wise men. They were studying the stars. They knew something was happening, so they went to the place they knew it was happening in. They went to go to Judea. They went to a king to find the king. So before we get any further, we're going to talk about joy. Go ahead, David. We're going we're gonna to talk about joy and having joy. So let's define joy. And we've defined joy pretty good as a church. It's contentment. It's peace. It's it's understanding your present situation. And it's not an emotion. It's almost a confidence and trust so highly in God that the world could be crashing around you, Gene, and you got a smile on your face. 
It's what the Bible calls, it's what the Bible calls the peace that passes all understanding. And as, as my granny used to sing, she used to sing that song, I shall not be moved, that old hymn, glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. And there's just that one line that just reminds me of her, like a tree that's planted by the water, I shall not be moved. Now, if you've ever been around a creek or a river, there are some of those trees that look like they should be falling in, but for God's intent and purposes, those roots run so deep, you can change it. My grandparents' farm, they had a tree like that. And it sat over like a little artesian well that my father thought was probably the most disgusting water that you could drink. But my cousin and I were convinced that my grandfather was a genius when he found where this spring where the water was coming up. He'd put a pipe in it. And you always toss out the first two spots from the ladle. And you also, you got to make sure you put the ladle back on the tree. Right. But that water was always cool. And it was, to me, it's the best tasting water I've ever tasted. Now, if I probably tasted it now, I'd probably be like, chalky. But still, that well was such a big deal. But the tree that it sat under was huge. And there were rocks and stuff all around it. And I always thought that that tree would fall. Last time Ethan and I went to, to my mom's house to go get the dog and bring him home, the tree is still there. It's because the roots run deep. There's a lot of confidence I have now in that tree. The ladle is gone. I don't know what happened to it, Steve. It got lost years ago. Um, who knows? It probably rusted and it's probably on the ground somewhere, but just rusted out. But joy is a confidence. It's a peace and Make no mistake, it's not an emotion. You can be unhappy and have joy. You can be angry and have joy. Joy is not a trust in ourselves and our situation. It's a trust in God. That's absolutely what it is. And Herod missed out on that. Completely missed out on that because you can tell by his actions. But if you understand who Herod was and where he came from, and I gave the youth group a little snippet of this Wednesday night, so don't check out Summer. I'm not just doing the same two points. We're going a little bit deeper, all right? So there's two things you I, I want you to get right now. This is what we talked about with the youth group the other night. Go ahead, David. Um, there's just, uh, I'm, I'm ahead of you. Let's keep going. Uh, let's do one more, David. It's um, two things. This is what we talked about Wednesday night, Jack. You can't stop God's plan. I learned this verse when I when I was 13 years old, and it has stuck with me, and it's from Isaiah. And what God basically says, whatever I put my purpose to, whatever my word goes to, it's going to accomplish that which I please, and it's going to prosper wherever I send it. You can't stop God's plan, and God's plan, number one, is always salvation. It is. I mean, from... Uh, you can read what John wrote in First John two two. Let me, let me turn there in my Bible real quick. I love this verse. First John two two. You don't have to follow me there, but this is what the disciple writes. He writes this. He said he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only ours. He's writing to Christian brothers, but also the sins of the whole world that plan is is right there and in fact when he when the angel speaks to joseph he says joseph don't be afraid of what's going on be at peace with what's going on because the one that's coming the one that's conceived in mary by the holy spirit he will save his people from their 
sins. He doesn't say he's going to be a great political leader. He doesn't say he's going to be a, a king and rule with a mighty fist and expel Rome from Israel. No, he says he is coming to save his people from their sins. You can't stop God's plan. And it is absolutely all about salvation. So what does this have to do with Christmas story? What does it have to do? Well, every great story has a villain. It does. And here he is. Go ahead, David. Here he is. Now, I don't know if that's 100% what he looked like, but that's how somebody thinks he looked, so we're just going to go with that. King Herod. King Herod was handed a governorship of, of Galilee. He never earned it. And in fact, by when he was handed it, he, he formed an army, not of people from Israel, but from other nations, conscripts. And he, he basically ruled as best as he could with an iron fist, taking little bit by little bit. And at the same time, he's not really a king. You notice to put it in, in quotation marks, he's more of a politician. Because he was a very insecure leader. He really was. He tried to get the people to like him by building a whole lot of things. And if they didn't like him, he forced them to like him. He was so paranoid by the fact by the time he became king, and when his father is assassinated, he flees to Rome, and then the Romans make him king of, of Israel. But again, he's a politician. And he's also not of the house of David. He's, he's, he's from the land of the Edomites. He's an Edomian. He's not even really a person who's a worshiping and, and pra- practicing Jew. He's not. He probably more or less was a, was a, oh, I don't know, a polytheist. I don't know what the best word is. He probably worshiped the gods of Rome rather than the Lord Almighty. But he played the people. He refurbished the temple. And some people thought he was great. Hence, Herod the Great. But he had two of his sons killed because he thought they, he thought they were going to mutiny against him. Now we can read a passage like Isaiah. Say Isaiah chapter 9, which talks about the the coming Christ child. We can read verses 6 and 7 where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we can read that and say amen. Say yeah, right on. But an insecure king can read it and be afraid of what those words mean. That's what joy does to you. Joy takes from you and you can't even see clearly. Herod was afraid of a baby stealing his throne. Now think about that. He was afraid of a baby. When Jack was a baby, I was more afraid to change his diaper than anything. But I remember that first time in the hospital holding him. Shauna will tell you, I was shaking like a leaf. I was so scared, not of the baby in my arms, but of how precious that life was. Within two days, I'm walking around like it's a football. So anybody see the baby? Oh, other hand. Yeah, anybody see the baby? But at first, man, I, was, I wasn't I was scared of you. Now I'm scared of you because you're bigger than me. 
But I wasn't scared of you as a baby. I was wanting to protect you. Herod was the exact opposite. He was the exact, go ahead, David. He was, he was the exact opposite. In fact, King Herod has a plan. Now first, some wise, some wise men show up on the scene, and again, there's not just three of them. We know there could have been just two. We don't know who had three gifts. We don't know. There could have been an, a, a mass of them, which probably, there was a number. They show up on the scene in Matthew. And they're coming because they've seen the star in the east, and they're, they're coming to find out where this king is, where this, where this baby is. And so Herod says, hey, do me a favor. I want to know too, because by the way, Herod's good at playing a crowd. So that's what Herod does. He plays the crowd and he says, hey, find out where this is going to happen. But it's not just Herod who's troubled. Keep in mind, there are people going along with him because scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that all of Jerusalem was bothered by this. They're worried. So Herod devises a plan. He sends them out. Verse 7 through 9. Let me read verse 9 to you because, man, this guy is sneaky. He said after, well, let me, let me back up to verse 8. He says, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come to and worship him. Sounds so sincere. But he's insecure. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen rose before them, and they went to where the Christ child was. Well, we know how this ends, and it's not good, because verse 12 tells us that the men from the east are warned, don't go back to Herod. And verse 16 tells us that Herod enacts his revenge on them. And not just on him, he's so paranoid, he starts to have children killed. See, because all he could see was what he was worried about. He didn't see one who was come to save the people from their sins. He was afraid of losing the throne that he was holding on to, either by force or by begging people to like him. He lies about worshiping Jesus. He doesn't want to do it. He puts on a face. And that's one of the temptations. When we really don't have joys to put on that face. But joy in our heart, it just comes out. You can't stop it. I hooked up sink last night. Almost called you, Joe. But I hooked up sink last night. And my my biggest worry when hooking up a sink is when you hook up those water lines. And you, and you go to twist it. Zane was there. Um, when you go to like, when you go to just tighten it, and there's that sinking feeling that you just don't want to see that slow little bubble drip come out. Cause it means you haven't tightened it enough or something could be in there forcing it open. And joy just comes out. Joy just bubbles up to the surface. Somebody with joy, you can't but see them. It's like a leaking valve. It's just going to happen. You can't stop it. They've got it and it's bubbling over. And see, that's the difference between the king who had everything in front of him to see what Jesus was going to do, had everything in front of him, had all the all the, the scribes, the Pharisees, everybody right there in Jerusalem could have showed him, here is it, it's the Messiah. We need to be celebrating. We need to be excited. This is what Isaiah chapter 9 says he's going to do. But they're afraid because they have no joy. So I want to show you what joy 
is it? And hopefully at the same time when you see what it isn't, you can see how to have joy or not let those things get in the way that rob our joy. So right here, David, go ahead. Let's do three quick thoughts. Three thoughts. Oh, yeah, let me, let me preface this. When you're focused on your own point of view and perspective, it's hard to have joy. That's what I'm trying to get across here. So here we go. Three thoughts, David. Let's, let's go through these. Number one, joy is a no matter what point of view. Philippians 4, 7 tells us, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's why we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Because our mourning can be turned into gladness really fast because we trust in one who's above us, who's greater than us, who has secured our eternity, and it's not in our own hands. Joy is a no matter what point of view. No matter what's going to come my way, I'm going to have joy. It's going to be fine because I'm not trusting in me to get this done. I'm trusting in someone else to get it done. I cannot fix anything on a car. That's why I take it to a mechanic, and I'm very happy when I drop it off. Because I know my car will stop when I get it back. Or it will stop making that chugging sound. I drove all the way from Jonesboro to Fort Smith, Arkansas when I was in college. And every time I hit the gas, just right, it would be fine after, after I hit it for the first time. But every time I would just hit my gas, my truck would go, you know, then it'd be fine. I could put it on cruise control and it'd be okay. But that first, every time it would increase the gas, I would get this weird just chug in my car. I thought, well, that's kind of strange, and that's not right. Um, it was, it was just a little sensor, just the tiniest little bitty sensor in my car. That a friend of my dad's, he came over Saturday morning and said, "We're going to figure out what's wrong with James's truck." And he gets under there and he goes, "Steve finds it right away." Different Steve, but Steve finds it right away. And he goes, "I bet you it's this sensor. Let's take it out." And he goes, "Oh, it looks a little." It's a little corroded and stuff. Let's let's go see if we can find another one. Goes to the Dodge dealership, gets one. They plug it right back in. Guess what? My truck didn't do anymore. It didn't. It's because it was in the hands of somebody who knew what he was doing. And that's why our life needs to be trusted into God's hands. That's why we can have joy. Because we can't save ourselves from our sin. And that's why we can celebrate Christmas. Because, man, he he'd... God had been talking about it for a while. He'd been finding the right time and the fullness of time. As Paul describes it in the fullness of time, he appeared. So joy is a no matter what comes my way, I'm going to have it. And again, it's not happiness, it's a peace. Number two, joy is this. Joy is a not today Satan perspective. Now, I'm not talking about your neighbor's pit bull named Satan, which by the way, I've nicknamed my next door neighbor's dog. Of course, he probably feels the same way about my dog, because my dog will not be quiet. Um, but you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is not. We end up, because of conflicts that, that Satan tempts us into, arguing and fighting with flesh and blood. But our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not. So Satan can get in, try to get in our way, but joy robs him of what he's trying to do. Gene, do you know... Not two years in a row, but for within a three-year time, twice on a lake trip. That was our theme verse, John 10, 10. For the, for the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. We looked at it from two different perspectives, but it was the same one. I didn't realize it till I started doing it again. I went, oh, I'm kind of doing the same verse, but a totally different way. I hope Gene doesn't catch on. And now you just now found out. Okay. 
But this is what it is. The thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Somebody who's determined to steal from someone, they're going to look for every chance and opportunity to do it. A thief will watch and wait for the right moment when you're weakest or when you've got your guard down. And that's what Satan is. He's the ultimate thief. But he's wanting to steal from here and from here. So the Bible tells us to guard our hearts and minds. Let me see if Amber ever paid attention. Why? Because our heart is what? Sinful? So we've got to keep this guarding this and this guarding this at the same time because Satan is just wanting to steal our joy, our passion, our enthusiasm. So joy says, not today, Satan. You can try to run me over, not today, Satan. You can try to take this from me, not today, Satan. The best perspective on that is Job. If you want to understand what a, and people say that phrase today, every once in a while people put it on t-shirts, not today, Satan. If you want to understand what that phrase really means, go read the first few chapters of the book of Job. Satan asked to sift Job. And Satan tried to take everything from him. God said, okay, I'll let you sift him, but you take everything but his life. And he went after him, and and, and Job's, Job's response was, the Lord give and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He might as well have said, not today, Satan. Not going to happen. Throw everything at me. I'm still going to trust. I'm still going to praise. And man, and Herod was robbed of that. Because Herod's afraid of losing his throne. When truthfully, all the cross child was, was, was there. That baby was there to save the people from their sins. He didn't, of course, he couldn't see that that, that baby was going to become the atoning sacrifice. But he was so worried and wrapped up. And afraid that he couldn't see what was right there in front of him. Shepherds got it. Wise men from way out of town got it. But Herod didn't have it. He was robbed of it. Last thing. Well, last thing and then one big idea. Joy's a never alone promise. Never alone. You walk through the fire, you, you walk through the waves, what Isaiah says, I'll be there. No matter what, I'm there. Um, and I can't even describe that unless anybody, hopefully everybody in here has one good friend. And for you, it may be your spouse or you may have people that have walked down the road with you. And you know what it's like that no matter what, that person's like, hey, I'm here. No matter what. That's what it's like. I don't want to give you too much of a preview, but I'm also going to talk about that a little bit next week in Psalm 139. And no matter where we go, he is there with us. That's why we can have joy. If you're afraid that God sees everything that you do, you got some other stuff to get straight. You got some sin, you gotta, you gotta let the, the master at the, the potter's wheel work out of your life like a, somebody shaping a pot gets all those little rocks and pebbles and air gaps out. But it should be comforting to us, Doug, that he's with us all the time. Good moments, bad moments, when we're at our best, when we're at our worst, he's there. And he never says, whoa, can't, can't do that. He's there, Steve. He, he doesn't leave at all. And that's comforting. And that's what joy gives us. Because we know if he puts up with our garbage... 
He can help us with all the garbage that is thrown at us. So joy is a never alone promise. And, and that's what I want you to get this Christmas. Is to have joy because God wants us to be trusting in Him with our circumstance. And He's proven it all and we can celebrate. Go ahead, David. We can celebrate Christmas. Because God has got it all under control. He proved that through the gift he gave us of Jesus Christ. He's got it all under control. We can trust in him and we can have joy. Does it make sense to the outside world? Absolutely not. Is it meant to? No. Go go read the Upper Room Discourse. Our trust in God is not meant to make sense to the outside world because they don't understand it. So have joy. Trust in him. And celebrate Christmas because, Gene, it's all taken care of. He's got it in his hand. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your love and your mercy. I pray that we would be encouraged by your word today. I thank you for it, God. You did so many things and you funneled it all down to that moment. We could, we could talk about the prophecies that you fulfilled. We could talk about what the sacrifice means. We could talk about the the wrapping around Jesus being like the way he was put into that tomb. But ultimately, Lord, it's it's the gift today. And we can have joy. The best gift we've ever received. We never earned it. Never even really asked for it. You offered it. The gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to celebrate that today. Help us to share it with our family, our friends, our kids, our grandkids. The joy we have knowing that we serve a God who loved us so much to give us his son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.